Hi, I'm Frank Homer. And I'm Laurie O'Neill. We are, we are the, the founders, founders of, of the, business the Business Hive. Our podcast is centered around proven practices within the current business environment. Our discussions seek to bring out the best in real estate agents to improve and grow their businesses through the sharing of knowledge. Business acumen has always been my passion, and I have a strong intellectual curiosity to learn new strategies and tactics in the ever-changing world of business. I'm passionate about growing the production and the businesses of agents to make their lives better. My one thing is to affect people's lives in a positive and powerful way that will benefit them for generations. Join us as we explore the latest trends and topics for growing your business. In this series of The Business Hive, we are discussing the six myth understandings between you and high achievement of the millionaire real estate agent by Gary Keller with Dave Jenks and Jay Papasan, copyright 2004 by the McGraw-Hill Companies Incorporated. Good morning, Frank. We have a hot show today. Excited morning, about Lori. this topic. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. Uh, I'll give you the honors of introducing our special guest. Thank you so much. Well, uh, we're excited to be here today with Joe Barzalowski, uh, an agent in the office. Um, Joe has a, a background related to today's subject, and um, he's uh, you know transitioning into the real estate business, and uh, he's going to share some insights with us uh, about those. Um, so, Joe, thanks for joining us today. Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself in more detail? Oh, well, good morning, guys, and I really appreciate you having me on the call here. Being one of the newer people in the office, um, I find it to be an honor that you find my, uh, my background in finance as something that's valuable, which, um, well, let me just start at the beginning. I, I graduated college in uh, 1990. Sounds like forever ago now. And I had very little direction as to where I wanted to go. Um, as like a lot of younger guys, I thought I was going to be a professional athlete. And uh, that kind of happened to go away with, a, with some knee issues that I had when I was in college. And uh, nonetheless, I got out of school and was floundering to find out what I wanted to do. And um, I picked up a job at a mutual fund company, which I didn't even know what a mutual fund was at the time. And um, from there, I moved into individual financial consultations. So I kind of learned it from a product perspective of a mutual fund or a family of mutual funds, and then moved into advising individuals on how to uh, maintain and grow wealth through intangible investments for the most part, with real estate being kind of ancillary, where every, you know, people have to have a home or they should have a home. Um, as part of their diversification strategy, but really as a base for um, building wealth. Because, you know, when you're renting, you're basically throwing money away. And um, when you're purchasing a home, yes, the home will go up and down in value. Not that it matters all that much. And when you're adding to the equity in your home on a month to month basis, you know, you're really building a savings account for yourself for retirement or for your future to you know, borrow for your kid's education or what have you. So moving into the real estate world for me was, um, was an easy decision. I, I've owned my own home. I, I'm one of those lucky people that bought a place not long out of college. I think I was out of school two years before I bought a condominium. And, um, and from there, I've, you know, I've been a homeowner ever since. Um, 
so yeah, there are a lot of parallels to the two industries that I find, but really what it boils down to for me is it's, it's basically the interaction between people. You know, it's, if people understand that you're really trying to, they could do business with anybody. And if they understand that you really are trying to help them, not just make money off of them, that you're really trying to find them the right home or to get them the right price on the sales side. Um, and you put passion and you know, concern for those people up front. And um, so that's what I've been running with. I'm just, I'm blessed that I got a pretty good head start on things by uh, being asked to join a team here at Keller Williams right off the bat. So I have uh, a support group. I have a, an experienced agent behind me who is a safety net. So if I don't know something, I can always find out from her. And um, it's just great to have a kind of a combination of things. And, and I find that um, I'm a lot of times the go-to guy when it comes to talking about um, the investment side of things and, and um, you know, how it, how it relates to people's overall net worth. Great point, Joe. And well, thank you for joining us. Um, I too come from a, 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 a prior career, you know, 25 plus years in the pharmaceutical industry. And the one thing we talk about in making career transitions to different industries is those transferable skills. And you talked about um, the interaction and the building of relationships with clients um, and the up and down value of uh, real estate. Um, and how you have been able to do um, the advising on all of that, you know, coming from the stock market industry to now real estate industry. So I think this is awesome. Thank you. And I want to pick your brain on the value side of it. We talk about the market. We talk about uh, not enough inventory for the demand from buyers, uh, primarily due to, uh, I, think, um, I think it's fair to say, the low interest rates. And a prior year of COVID where people aren't spending and we have this saved cash. Um, let me start off with a couple of questions because, you know, there's the, the speak about, oh, is this a bubble and is this going to be, um, you know, another bubble crash? And the one, uh, the first item that I want to talk about is inflation and how does inflation uh, impact or affect real estate prices? Well, you know, inflation and obviously a current topic, which we're starting to see quite a bit of inflation now. Yes. Price of gasoline, price of food, price of building materials is a big issue. You know, it's I think I heard that the cost of materials is up 40 percent. So if you wanted to build a home, if that home was going to be a, a million dollar home, now all of a sudden it's, you know, it's going to cost you an extra, you know, a couple hundred thousand to build that home. And so that has a major impact on you know on the price of things but inflation i think personally really hurts the you know if you look at the scale of um wealth let's just say that you know you are somebody who works at a brokerage firm or a pharmaceutical company and you're making three hundred thousand a year and you're going to upgrade your home from a seven hundred thousand dollar home to a million dollar home you're not really that impacted by gas prices doubling or, you know, your food bill going up by $200 a month or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you're fresh out of college or, you know, you're in your late twenties and you've got student debt and all of a sudden now, you know, you're paying twice as much for gasoline and uh, twice as much to go out to dinner and all that. 
you're not going to have as much to put towards a home. So I think that the current inflationary market really bodes worse for folks that are trying to get a foothold more than folks that are already in a position where it doesn't matter as much. Good point. I, I, th I think that's, in, I don't know necessarily if it's considered sort of the millennial buying pool. Uh, I, I think some of the demographics that were released um, is that first time home buyers, what used to be the age of maybe 25 is now in the late 30s, uh, where that, that would be the first time home buyers. Um, so I think that's relevant to uh, that buying pool. So I know where we are in New Jersey. It seems to me that the largest expansion of building is in apartments. I know around the Princeton area, you look just around the corner from us, there's hundreds of apartments going up and there's just not as many homes going up. So inventory on single family homes has been low, which you know has made this market what it is. But you can see that that's the trend, that these large corporations are taking advantage of the fact that people can't afford to buy a home. So they're building luxury apartments that are going to drain people of, you know, 2,500, 3,000, 5,000 a month um, that they could be putting towards something better. Absolutely. You know, debt, credit cards, or purchase of a home. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so as we, as we continue down the same sort of train of thought, are there uh, some key economic ind indicators that you look at in relation to the real estate industry? Well, sure. There's a bunch of them, really. There's, you know, the web, the construction numbers, of course, are important. Mm -hmm. uh, home sales overall, new home sales, uh, what's going on at the state level as far as uh, you know, homes sold, price increases, decreases, that sort of thing. Um, I think that long-term interest rates are a good indicator of uh, real estate. Yeah, absolutely or at least the ability to do a transaction in the future. Um, you know, the higher the interest rates on the long end, the less people can borrow today. Yeah, I've been watching that. I'll watch the interest rates as a, as a starting point in addition to the, all those other factors that you discuss. Uh, and I think the last I had um, read or heard is that the Fed isn't looking to increase anything until possibly 2023 which means that that's an indication, and now that could change, uh, but that's certainly an indication that uh, rates will remain low or lower. I don't know how much they were planning on the inflation being where it is. Right. But yeah, that's ideally, you know, you can predict that, but things change quick. And, the, and the only thing the Fed has is long-term interest rates. Yeah. Rates in general. Absolutely. Uh, you had mentioned something about new construction and, and the increase in prices. And something that I've seen uh, a little bit has been uh, when buyers go to these new construction and sign a contract, there are clauses in there that state this may not be the final price due to the fact that costs are increasing in building materials, et cetera. So six, eight months down the road when your, your home, what you think is your new home is coming to to conclusion and, and ready to close, that price may change. And you're starting to see 
a couple of those contracts fall through because of the unanticipated increase in those costs. Is that something that you've seen? Absolutely. It's frustrating for buyers, especially in our low inventory, and we're looking to new construction to fill that inventory gap, right? <laughs> yeah. And even with the rehabs, you know, people that, you know, that are buying a house and uh, trying to fix it up, sell it for a higher price, mm -hmm. you know, margin's gotten a little thin. Yes. And, you know, it's, there are people that get into it with the best intentions and then they can get stuck with the house because they can't break even. So, you know, they end up renting, they end up renting yeah. the house. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> throw their money away, you know? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we see um, lots of things on the news, Wall Street it, it, and real estate, you know, news items, et cetera, it gets a little emotional, can be a little bit of a roller coaster ride. You know, is there a direct relationship between Wall Street and real estate? Well, you know, there it's a direct relation in that, um, you know, they're both uh, very, they don't track each other. In other words, there's different factors that control the movements in both. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a piece of real estate you can always live in. And I think people are much more emotional about stocks and bonds than they are about real estate after they're in a house. So in other words, if you're, um, if you're trying to watch the two side by side, there's actually, there's a, um, what's called an investment quilt, which shows all of the different asset classes around the world. So we're talking about large cap stocks, small cap stocks, international large cap, international small, like there's 15, I think, categories. And when you look at them, they, they kind of complement each other. And there's a, a diversification strategy that you could spread it out among all of these asset classes and you'll have a nice blended, comfortable rate of return. Problem is people tinker. They don't like to just hold on to things, but they do with real estate. So when you look at, I'm just looking at a, a chart right now that has from 2006 to 2020. And the real estate, which the, the benchmark that they use is a real estate investment trust index. So it's not specifically a single family home index, but it's kind of a conglomerate of real estate. And out of those years, one, two, three, four, five, six of them, six of those years, real estate was the number one returning investment, even wow. though the market, but not in the last few years, 15 was the last year that it was the top performer. Interesting. Stocks have really taken over. Um, so Joe, I just want to pause you a second. You're referencing an investment quill, Q-U-I-L-L. -L. Is that what you said? No, just like a quilt, like you put over yourself. Quilt. Okay, thanks. Yeah. If you saw it, it's very colorful. They have a different color for each. <laughs> and it's actually on a site that is called novelinvestor.com, N-O-V-E-L investor.com. And it's really an interesting look because you'll see that if you highlight one of the asset classes, you know, some of them are always in the top fives or you know, real estate's been out of that same time period, 2006 to 2000 and, or 2020, real estate was the dog performer, the worst of them all two years out of those years. Wow. But yet the average rate of return on real estate over the last like 30 years 
is between 8.6 and 10% per year. That gross, the 10% would be gross. So 8.6 is kind of net with transaction costs and things. So, so that's, now we, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just want to. Okay, so, what I, so with that information, I'd like to now translate that into home buyers and getting them out of rentals and into buying where their money has a greater return. So, well, yeah, if you look at someone who is a first time home buyer or a potential first time home buyer who's been renting or just getting out of school or whatever right. this is, um, I guess you have choices. You can either see the one beautiful thing about stocks and bonds and mutual funds and things like that is the dollar cost averaging aspect where you're putting, you know, let's just say that you're making a living and you're putting a thousand dollars a month into the market instead of buying a home, right? So what you're doing is you're putting your money into a variable investment, whether that's a mutual fund or a stock or portfolio of things. And you're buying with the same amount of money, a different amount of shares right. every month. So you're, your long-term cost ends up averaging out. Obviously that's not possible in real estate. In real estate, it's a, you know, you, you make the big plunge. It's <laughs> but, a buy and hold. <laughs> and that, that helps people a lot because I saw more often than not, you know, if you look at this, the rate of return on, all right, last year, the winner was small cap stocks. They had a 20% annual gain, but the people that own small cap stocks aren't averaging 20% because they're watching CNBC or CNN or whatever, MSNBC, you know, the different news channels that say, oh, the stock market is this or the stock market is that. They react, they have yeah. no loyalty to the thing. They yeah. see a, like I'm out before it goes lower. They lose right. money, it goes back up. Yeah, and, absolutely. Oh, there's less, um, less chance of messing it up when you buy a piece of real estate and you live in it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a little more risk if you're investing in real estate um, as an investment. As an investor. Mm -hmm. Because you know, people could trash your house, the neighborhood could go bad. I mean, there's factors that can happen. But for the most part, you're, you're stuck with it because of the cost of the transaction. Yeah, if you're selling, if you're getting out of a stock, you know, you pay a 1% transaction fee or less nowadays and you're out you have your money back you can't do that with a house it's different because you know you have you own your home you have equity in the home and you can borrow that equity which you know is in today's world is a viable option if you need money you want to do home improvements or send your kids to school or whatever interest rates are low you can borrow off of an increasing valuable home it's a good strategy yeah it is uh, what i'm starting to see is um even those individuals who could possibly pay with cash are financing it because right now, because of the interest rates being so low that it's um, absolutely cost beneficial for them to finance than it is for them to plunk it all down into cash, especially in a larger priced homes. Sure, absolutely. You and know, if you the given annual rates of return, if they hold true versus the annual cost of the financing, you know, those numbers are great. If you're looking at a 3% mortgage, and an 8% rate of return, 
that's good business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's amazing. Sometimes when I see a reaction from another Asian is why, why are they financing this? And that's, you know, that's their financial advisors, which, you know, money's cheap right now, as they say. Sure. Why not buy two? Yeah. (laughs) I think you've covered, you know, the whole um, real estate as an investment for, uh, you know, as a homeowner versus an investor two different areas of, um, of, of expense and risk. I know for the investor, they're looking at a certain cap rate uh, and some of the variables that they can't control are those unknown expenses. As you said, you know, uh, somebody damaging the property or an unforeseen, you know, active mother nature, um, which, you know, various parts of the country um, survive and have suffered and survived. And it's, you know, just one of those unfortunate things, but um, it still is, um, as you've indicated, a better investment or just as good investment as the stock market. Yeah, I think the only, I mean, the barriers to entry are large, you know, depending on the home you're buying. I think people think it's worse than it is though, you know, nowadays. Yeah, I agree. You get away with a smaller down payment and do a lot of financing. Um, But yeah, I I think that the, the barrier to entry, having the down payment, having the you gotta get approved for the loan, um, and the cost to exit the investment will keep people in because again, you have to look at the seller net. You know, yeah, you, absolutely. You're you know you're in your home for five years and it's up twenty percent, twenty five percent. If you go and sell, you know you still have to pay. Um, I guess on average nine percent for the transaction cost. So, you know, people don't—it's not just cut and dry, you know, and it's not easy to do because you have to go out and find a buyer, and you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we are encouraging individuals who would like to sell. This is a good time to sell because of the price points. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, for anybody that may have purchased back in two thousand five, quote unquote, at the height of the market, they are at least breaking even or even seeing some return on, you know, their purchase from 15 years ago, 16 years ago, uh, which is a good thing. The only problem is, is that we have to put them somewhere else. (laughs) That's been, you know, you're still buying high. You might be selling high, but you're buying high. Right. Well, that's the fun part though, I think, is that when you find people who are, who see the value in an appreciating asset, like a home and they feel like they can do it again and live in a better home, then, you know, that's the fun part because you're doing two things. You're, you're out there hunting to find them a more beautiful home than they already have. And, you know, and then you're working to, to help them get as much out of their original home to, to move into that newer home. I, I think that's just, that's, that's a really good that's, thing. Yeah, it's, it's a good feeling. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a lot of fun. Frank, I have to turn it over to you. I, I think you're dying to ask a question. Well, I, I love the conversation. Um, you know, even this last part here, you know, we're just touching on, um, you know, I guess the way, Joe, you kind of described it in the beginning. It's like, obviously, now you're having a much more tangible effect on people. Uh, it's much more rewarding helping them uh, to find their home, uh, helping them to manage this Um I like how, you know, in your career, you know, you really started out on uh, like the passive ownership side, you know, talking about stocks and mutual funds and, and even real estate investment trusts. 
Um, you know, passive owning means, you know, purchasing a piece of an institution or business that you don't control or influence. And now we're transitioning the conversation to active owning, um, you know, assets that you control, that you control yourself that create financial returns, which is real estate and actually owning businesses. So, um, and building a real estate business um, as well as real estate investment. So, no, I love that. So how do you, how do you, how do you define this current market? Um, how would you describe it? You know, it's changing a little bit that I've noticed over the last month or so, but it is kind of the dog days of summer. But since I've been involved, to me, it seems as though it's broadly a seller's market that is being driven by the buyers. Because when you're looking at, you know, the average home is selling, you know, five to 10% above listing price. Um, it's due to the inventory. So with low inventory and buyers in the same price range, you know, when, when people go to the table or when they go to place an offer, they're automatically thinking, I can't put in a, an offer below ask. You know, I don't think that's ever been a thing in real estate. Maybe it has, I don't know. But, um, you know, it's, it's driven by the buyers who are driving the prices up. But it's definitely a seller's market. If you're going to sell your home, if you're planning to sell your home within the next five years, say, this might be the best time to do. Might not. It might not. It might be. It sure seems to me there's a feeling of topping out, I guess. And I'm not one to predict any kind of bubble popping or, you know, like that. Um, possible. And even, you know, what would we see in a, in a, a typical retrace you know, or a bubble popping, you make it sound worse than it is. You know, what, what are we looking at? 20%? That's nothing. You know, if we see a retrace of 20, okay. People will be flooding the market with their houses. They think the sky is falling. And, you know, so then it'll go into more of a buyer's market. But I think for right now, prices being high, interest rates being low. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a seller's market mm -hmm. for, for, you know, until something changes we've certainly seen a shift in the seasonality of our of, of our of our real estate sales you know um with the spring market kicking off sort of after um this the super bowl you start to see an uptick of of inventory going on the market you start to see your closings you know june july late august a teeny bit of a breather and then we pick up again in september we certainly didn't see that last year with COVID. Um, our spring season was delayed and you saw a lot of activity, you know, June, July, predominantly July and August. So it's a little bit of a misnomer to compare June's numbers to last year's June's numbers because it was such an unusual year. Um, I think we're seeing a return back to that normal sort of seasonality for the year. Uh, but what we will see is the total number of transactions uh, from last year. But well, when you look at 2019, uh, 2020 demonstrated quite an uptick in the total number of transactions. And I think what you're going to see in 2021, I think we're trending on the on term in terms of more transactions. The total number will have increased over 2020. That's what we're seeing. So it's definitely um, a busy market. Definitely a busy market, but it is driven by the buyers. 
more buyers than inventory, but I mean, inventory is coming to the market. It's just going too quickly. <laughs> right. Yeah. I've seen that. It's funny because when you look now at the MLS and you see a house that's been on the market for 30 days and you immediately think ah, it's overpriced <laughs> or there's something wrong with the septic or. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I heard one agent go, we didn't get an offer in seven days. We have to lower the price. <laughs> Got to price it right. <laughs> well, you do have to price it right from the beginning, uh, but, but it is funny after seven days, didn't get an offer and it's, uh, you know, what well, my experience is driven by the sellers who have a hard time grasping the concept of listing at a reasonable price to draw people in and let people bid the price up above your asking price. Exactly. People think if you don't ask, you don't get, you know, their grandparents probably told them that, <laughs> that you know, if you think your house is worth 450, you got to list it for 455 and then negotiate below that, which just doesn't work in this market. No, it's not. It's not definitely not working in this market unless really, it's blatantly overpriced. Right. Yeah. yeah. You need to price to draw people in. You need to look at the competition, you know, that, that are selling the same type of home in your area. Why would your home be worth 50,000 more than your neighbor? You know, I mean, unless there are reasons for it, you're not going to get as much action. Yeah. And then I think that when you lower the price, it kind of makes it look bad, especially the realtor, because, you know, you're, you're, you should know better. Well, it's, it, it's, it's true. I mean, you can do your best to present the comps, but you know, the seller ultimately has um, the say in, in this approach sometimes. And um, uh, it just, yeah. you know, or, and, and ultimately sometimes that, you know, for whatever reason, the house isn't receptive to that price, even though all the other comps demonstrate that's where it should be. For some reason that that particular property may indicate Nope, you're not getting that money. And, and then you have to start to look at why. Yeah, well, yeah. that's a very simple concept that I talk to everyone who's trying to, who's considering listing is, you know, your house is worth exactly what the next person is willing to pay for it. Yep. Or no less, you know, and, and you have to decide that they're right. You have to decide that that price is what you're willing to accept. And forget about what your fantasies are about selling your home you know it's you're in a certain neighborhood it's going to be a certain cap on it you could be the nicest house in the neighborhood if all the houses in your neighborhood are five hundred thousand, your house is really nice but it's going to really be hard to sell it for eight hundred thousand because why you know yeah exactly oh joe you are a wealth of information you have to come back there were so many other topics that we needed to explore in this conversation and I'm going to pull them out, extract them for the next uh, time you um, please come back as a special guest on our podcast. We really appreciate it. Oh, I am so happy to do it, Lori. It's my oh, pleasure. Thank you. Um, so, Frank, any closing remarks while we wrap it up? Yes. Thanks, Joe, so much for being here today. We'd love to go back and talk more um, thoughts on real estate investing. You know, you kind of touched on it there for a little bit about taking the uh, um the earned equity in that, in that property, in that real estate investment to fund other things in life. And actually, yeah. you know, this is, this is a prelude to a whole nother episode in, in the, in what I consider to be the secret of, you know, uh, wealth building in America, which is um, owning you know, land, um, you know, and the widest um, distribution and ownership of, of that land. I think that's something that uh, 
it's a conversation that we're having a lot more about, um, certainly, uh, you know, through social equity and other um, uh, education uh, forums that, uh, you know, we're really wanting to educate uh, not, not only our uh, agents, but the consumers, clients about these opportunities. And then, you know, con connecting the dots for them, showing them how they can move from, uh, from passive um, to active and how they can build, you know, long-term wealth for them and their families. So love to have you back and, uh, you know, dive deeper in that subject. So thanks so much for being here, Joe. My pleasure. Can't wait to do it. Well, that's a wrap for today. And until next time. Keep it buzzing. <laughs>